We're in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. The day of the Lord, if you would, please stand for reading of God's word. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and in godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to this, his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Now, the day of the Lord is an interesting topic. It can be scary or it can be exhilarating. Depends on which team you're on. You're going to find out a little bit more about that in just a few minutes. Remember, the theme of Second Peter is beware and grow. Beware and grow. Beware the false teachers. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Last time we talked about skeptics then and skeptics now. This was our teaching last week. This is a review from last week. Bring you up to speed. Now remember, skeptics will pounce on you. Skeptics will pounce on you. And when they do pounce and they start to question you about your faith and question you about what you believe, and you start wondering, is this all true? Ever been there? You wonder, is, is this really real? Is this really true? All you have to do is go back to your heritage. Go back to the prophets and what they taught and what they predicted and what came to fruition and the apostles and the Lord Jesus. And then we went through some prophecies. We went through uh, hundreds of prophecies that were predicted in the Old Testament that came to fruition in the New Testament. And the Bible being the only holy book in the world that has predicted prophecy in the past that came to fruition exactly as prophesied in the future. And then we gave a couple of examples. There are hundreds that Jesus fulfilled himself, thousands probably in the Bible total. But the chances of eight, eight prophecies coming to fruition, remember we gave the example of cover the state of Texas with silver dollars up to your knees, paint one of them red, blindfold a person and have them randomly walk through Texas and pick it up, the chances of that happening would be 10 to the 17th power. Impossible. That's with eight. And then with 48, it was 10 to the 157th power, which is greater than the number of electrons in the whole universe. So is the Bible the Word of God? You bet. And you can count on it. It is true. Go back to your heritage. Remember Jesus. And remember that last time we talked, the skeptics' focus was on this, the second coming of Christ. Where is the promise of his coming? That's what they say. All things continue as they were. And to this we said, what are you talking about? Things are not continuing as they were. And then we went to Adam and Eve and how everything was perfect in the beginning. And then they had their fall and they, and they fell into sin. And everything changed at that point. Do you know that big change happened? That with Adam and Eve, they experienced for the first time in Everdom, shame. They tried to cover themselves. And fear. I was afraid. That's what, that's what Adam, I was afraid. That's what came in. That was a big change. Adam's sin brought death into God's perfect creation. That was a huge change. And then Jesus came to this earth. God sent his son to this world to save mankind from their sins. That was a big change because now man needed to be redeemed. Man needed to be born again. Man needed to have a way to get in right relationship with God. It is only through the Lord Jesus Christ. Only through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Peter says in 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? To bring you to God. Jesus came to die to bring fill in your name, you, to God. And he was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And everyone who believes in Jesus Christ, you know what that belief is? It's not just mental assent. It isn't just, I believe that Jesus existed. Or even I believe that Jesus was hung on a tree and crucified. Every Roman soldier believed that that was involved. Oh no, believe is, that word in the Greek means commit yourself to, put your trust in, and follow. That's what that believe means. Now, what do skeptics forget? Well, they forget that God destroyed the earth once with a global flood. Remember, we took, we took flood accounts from all over the world that exist and give, give credence that this was a global flood, not a local flood, and that he will destroy it the next time with fire. That is in verse 7 last time. Christ holds everything together. Remember that. Jesus Christ is the force in the universe that holds everything together. Colossians 1.17. He is before all things, and in him all things consist or are held together. And when he lets go, folks, every atom will be let go. And this whole thing will be destroyed. He holds everything together. What skeptics often forget is that God's time is not man's time. And he goes on to say a thousand years is a day and a day is a thousand years. God is outside of time. Man is trapped in time. For this little brief 70-year period of time or so that we have called our life. And we make such gigantic statements or proclamations about God. In this little brief time that we exist, we come to these conclusions that sometimes are so errant, so errant, or they can be good if you believe in Jesus. Skeptics do not understand something. Look, at God's heart is expressed in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness but is long-suffering. You know, that long-suffering is the word macrothumio. I didn't cover that last time, but it, it is the word macrothumio. It means this, not given to hasty anger or punishment. That is, the, that is the heart of God. He bears with humans for a long time. Just think about yourself coming into the family of God, and how we resisted, and how we resisted, and how we resisted, and how he bared with us, long-suffering towards us. And it also means this, having the power to avenge, yet refraining from exercising that power. That is macrothumia. That is long-suffering. God could squash us, but he is long-suffering, desire that all be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That is the heart of God. One thing that you must remember is that the day of grace will end. Will one day end and the church age will be over and the rapture of the church will occur and we will be out of here. When Jesus comes for his church, when Jesus comes for his bride, the day of grace will be over. And I want to submit to you something that may be a little bit controversial to you, that you may not have heard before, or maybe doesn't mean anything to you. But when you're talking about the day of the Lord, I believe the day of the Lord begins with the rapture of the church, and it goes all the way through the millennial reign of Christ. And I'll give you some reasons for that when we get into our teaching. Some people think the day of the Lord is a single day. 
Some people think it's a second coming. Some people think it's the tribulation period only. Some people believe it's from the mid-trib on when God's wrath, that's when they think God's wrath is poured out. And some people think it's the tribulation through the millennial reign. We will hopefully find out what the day of the Lord is, the day when Jesus Christ comes back, sets up his kingdom, and will rule forever. The day of the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time to study your word. Holy Spirit, please teach us truth. Help our hearts to be soft. Help our minds to be clear. Help us to hear what you want us to hear today. And may our lives forever be changed because we've come into the presence of the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. The day of the Lord. Now, what is the day of the Lord? That's the question. What is the day of the Lord? Well, it was mentioned in the Old Testament. Peter didn't come up with the saying. It's mentioned many times in the New Testament. It is this, when God brings judgment on the earth, some term this the end of the world. Oh, no, it's the end of the world. Everybody gets so all hung up, it's the end of the world. We're going as Christians, yes! And all the world goes, oh, bite their fingernails. And Jesus establishes his kingdom. So when God brings judgment on the earth, and Jesus establishes his kingdom, sometimes it points to near historical events, sometimes it's a future event but it's usually associated with frightening language. And when you look at the Old Testament and you look at some of the prophets, I'm just going to give you one. Isaiah chapter 13, 9 warns, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. This is the day of the Lord. This is the vengeance part. This is the wrath part of the day of the Lord. It's mentioned in Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Joel is full, filled with it, Amos, Obadiah, Zephaniah, Malachi. It's also mentioned in many places in the New Testament, the day of the Lord. I believe that our scripture today reveals at this time, the day of the Lord includes not only the tribulation period, but right through to the messianic kingdom, right through the messianic kingdom. The question is this, what will be your part in the day of the Lord? That is the question. As a believer in the Lord Jesus, there are good things that happen in the millennial reign that we'll have a part of. But the beginning of this, the vengeful part in the tribulation period, that's going to be awful for people who are sinners, people who have rejected, people that said, I don't want you, Jesus, and I will go my own way, and I will take my chances. That is the worst gamble you could ever, I will take my chances. When you have something so sure and simply believing in what Jesus did for you, instead of, I will take my chances of being a good person. Remember, none of us are righteous, no, not one, in the sight of a holy God. There is none who does good, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That is the gospel message in Romans chapter 3. Every one of us. And we need a Savior. Who will participate in this day? And how will you participate in it? Verse 10 and verse 12. A little bit different. It's going to be two different verses. It's not going to be 10, 11, and 12. Verse 10 and verse 12. The day of the Lord comes, watch this, as a thief in the night. As a thief in the night. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, 
because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Now, this is speaking of two different days, the day of the Lord and the day of God. And I think that they kind of just blend right together, and the end of the day of the Lord begins with the day of God when eternity starts. They kind of butt up to one another. Watch this. Now, how does this day of the Lord occur? It occurs as a thief in the night, and how does a thief come? They always come unexpected. Unexpected. The church must do two things. Much watch and be ready. Not be caught off guard. Now, how are we not to be caught off guard? Well, we are to be aware of what God's prophetic plan is, what his future plan is for planet Earth. Remember when Jesus went into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and his triumphal entry, and he is lamenting over the, the city of Jerusalem, and he is, he's actually weeping in, in, in Luke chapter 19, uh, verse 40, and, and he, he weeps and he cries out, uh, now, as he drew near the city, he wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially this your day, the things that are made for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Why? Because he expected them to know the Old Testament prophets, predicting that he would come in the way that he came, that he would be the Messiah, that only Messiah would do certain miracles, and he did them. Jesus was the predicted one, and they didn't recognize him. And they pushed him away. And then he ends this section in verse 44. He talks about Jerusalem being leveled to the ground and the children within them. And now will not leave one stone on another. Why? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. He held them responsible. He holds us responsible for knowing the signs of the time. Now look at, are we all going to get this eschatological thing perfect? There's umpteen different versions on how Jesus, is he pre-trib, is it mid-trib, is it post-trib, is it pre-millennial, is it amillennial, is it post-millennial, is it this or that? At least be in the ball game. At least know the signs of the times and what's going to happen as a prelude to him coming. We're pre-trib. We believe that there's a rapture of the church. We believe we won't go through the wrath of God. Now, I might be wrong on this. I might be wrong. I'm certainly hoping I'm not, and I, from my study... I don't think I am, but I could be. There's a lot of really smart people that see this a little bit different, see it a little bit different. So just remember that. We are to watch, not be sleeping, be ready, be ready. Listen to these verses, Mark 13, 35. Therefore, keep watch. This is our Lord warning us. Keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. Keep watch. Matthew 24, 44, so you must also be ready. Watch, be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. It's unexpected, like a thief in the night. But while they, and then Matthew 25, 10 through 13, talking about the ten virgins. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. He expected them to have their oil and to be ready for the coming of the bridegroom. We are the bride of Christ. He expects his bride to be ready for his return, not to be off flittering around and say, I'm not ready, I don't have my oil. No, that's not what he expects. The virgins who were ready went, went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. 
Later the others also came, Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Jesus does not know, does not have a relationship with those who reject him, who give him a stiff arm and say, I'll take you later. I'll take you under my circumstances, Jesus. I'll take you when I feel like it. Oh, no, that's not how it works. God is the initiator. God opens the hearts. God opens the minds. God softens us to be able to accept the message. It's at his time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. That's how he works. It's God's program, not our program. We join him. We join him. Remember in, in Matthew 7, 23, to the religious people who cast out demons in your name, did many wonderful works in your name, did all this great stuff in your name. And he said to those people, those who were professors, professors of believing in Jesus, but not possessors of Jesus Christ, depart from me, I never knew you. The saddest words that anybody could ever hear, could ever hear. Key words, watch, be ready. Watch, be ready. Now, how do we watch and be ready? Well, we study prophecy, and I want to submit to you that 25% of this word is prophetic. 25% is actually a little bit more than that. That's a lot to disregard. And many people just disregard it and say, oh, we can't understand that. Oh, no. He expects us to be digging and to understand the best we can what his plan is. So watch and be ready. If you would, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 through 10. And we'll just look at this, Jesus coming as a thief in the night. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 through 10. If you know your, the scripture, in chapter 4, he explains what we believe to be the rapture of the church. Church is taken out. And then he goes into what is called the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 through 10. Everybody ready? Verse 1, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you, he expected him to know, didn't he? He expected him to know the times and the seasons. He expects the same thing from us today. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord shall comes as a thief in the night. How is that? It's a surprise. It's unexpected to those who were unsaved. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape, but brethren, but you, brethren, are not in darkness. Contrast, but you, church, you people, you, brethren, who know the word of God, who have studied prophecy, you are not in darkness. You know the signs of the times, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep, or let us not be lazy, let us not be indolent, as others do, but let us watch and be sober, be sober, self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But let us who are of the day, contrast, night and day, be sober, be awake, be alert, putting on the breastplate of faith and love as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath. And if that is not underlined and starred in your Bible, please do that. 
because that is a key point to a pre-tribulation rapture. He did not point us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. I'll add verse 11. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, build one another up, just as you also are doing. Now, I want you to hear me with this. In verse 2, on the day of the Lord, he comes as a thief, and it's a surprise. Who is it a surprise to? It's going to be the unbelievers, because we are going to be caught up, and we're going to be surprised too, but we're not even going to have time to be surprised, because we know something that the rest of the world doesn't know, that this transition takes place how fast? One six billionth of a second. Yes, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. We, we're going to, all of a sudden, we're going to be there, boom, and it's done. That's not going to be a surprise. That's past surprise. That's shock and awe. We're just going to, it's going to be, boom, right before right in the kingdom of God. We're going to be in heaven with our Savior. But those who are left here, oh, they're going to be surprised. You talk about gloom, despair, is hanging. You, 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 conspiracy theories? Uh, there's got to be something to explain all of these people being gone. Oh, the aliens came. Oh, something had, you know, they went into another dimension. Stuff like that. Verse 3, that notice the condition of Israel. They are dwelling in peace and safety. Now, I will submit to you today that the nation of Israel believes that they're dwelling in peace and safety, although there's turmoil all around them. There's turmoil all around them. And who is the nation of Israel trusting in? They are trusting in the IDF, the Israel Defense Force. They're trusting in their army, the eighth most powerful on earth. That little sliver has the eighth most powerful army on the earth. That's what they're trusting. They're trusting in God. In verse 4 and 5, there's a contrast. From they to you, brethren, that we are sons of the light, sons of the day. We're not in darkness. We're not in darkness. We're not like those who the thief catches sleeping. And if you, if you notice, he comes as a thief in the night. And if you were here on our Tuesday night study in Leviticus, of all things, Leviticus, you will have learned that the thief in the night is the chief priest. And these Jews knew this. It is the chief priest who sneaks around at night trying to catch the other Levites, the other priestly uh, workers in the temple sleeping. And he would sneak up on them like a thief in the night. And what would he do? If he caught them sleeping, he lit their garment on fire. Don't get caught by the thief in the night. That's what the Levites were saying in the temple. Don't get caught. He's, he's coming around. You don't know when he's coming. That's the picture. Every Jewish person knows what that picture is. And now you do. Jesus will come at a surprise, at a thief in the night, to take his church out of here. A key point here is verse 9. God did not appoint us to wrath, and I believe this is referring back to verse 2, the day of the Lord. Some people believe this is eternal wrath or eternal separation from God. I think this is talking about his very pointed time of the day of the Lord. But he said, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, bear with me, because I bet you haven't heard this before, or maybe you have. I believe this salvation is referring to the rapture, that we're going to be saved from that day of wrath, taken out, sozo, sozo. We're going to be saved from this day of wrath. Now, listen to what Arnold Fruchtenbaum says on this. I was surprised. 
because I'm scouring around. Oh, I can't be out here in left field hanging on a little limb with this. And he says this, verse 9 continues to state that the church, while not having been appointed to wrath, has been appointed to, the, to obtaining of salvation. Now, hear, hear closely. In verse 8, it referred to as the hope of salvation, something that was future. See, when we get saved, it's now. It's now. When we get eternally saved, it is now. But this salvation is, is the hope of salvation is future. So can, he says, so cannot be soteriological, cannot be saving faith, which is a saving faith is a present reality. The salvation here is eschatological or in time, referring to the redemption of the body, which will occur at the rapture. And I just about jumped up and down. This is footsteps of Messiah, but I didn't remember it because I've read his book, okay? So I'm just trying to find some, somebody that agrees with me. <laughs> so I'm not hanging out here in no man's land. So thank you, Arnold. He's really smart, okay? Arnold's very smart. Yeah, I just, it just hit me. It is this salvation that the church has been appointed to and not to the wrath of the day of the Lord. The key words are to watch and be ready. Now, next step, next step. What happens prior to the day of the Lord? What should we be watching for prior to the day of the Lord? If you would, turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Now, the setting here is that the church of Thessalonica has been going through an awful time. They feel that they are, they're in the tribulation because of all the persecution that they're experiencing. And they have been told by different people that they missed the coming of the Lord. And so now they're tense, and Paul's going to speak to them on this. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord, the parousia, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and our gathering together to him, now, remember, when Jesus comes back, we come with him. But this episunigagi, this is we're gathered up to him, to him. And we're going to be in Father's house. Remember John 14, 2, in my Father's house are many rooms, and we're not so I've told you so, and I go to prepare a place. He's taking us to Father's house. He's taking us to Father's house. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to soon be shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or letter as if from us. There were false people, false teachers circulating false information that you missed it. You missed it. And he says, oh, no, as though the day of Christ. Now, some of you have the day of the Lord there. But if you have the majority text, you will see the day of Christ. And I think that's correct. Because the day of Christ, I think, is the rapture of the church. Is taken out. The day of the Lord is when God's, this rapture continues into the day of the Lord where his vengeance is poured out and then he'll establish his kingdom. Let no, and then it says this, let no one deceive you by any means. Catch the word, deceive you. What is going on today all throughout Christendom, all throughout the world? Deception, 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 deception. Let no one deceive you. By any means, for that day will not come unless two things happen. Unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Now, let's develop this. The falling away comes first is the apostasy. That's what falling away is, apostasy. Let me give you Zadiati's Greek definition of apostasy. It is choosing to stay away from the true faith. Choosing to stay away from the true faith. The church is growing 
more and more cold. We see it described in Revelation chapter 3 with the, book, with the church of Laodicea. Laodicea, by the way, means ruled by the people, not ruled by Christ. So remember, you come to this church. You come to Calvary Chapel. This is the church that Jesus Christ established. You should never say, I go to Rick's church. I go to whoever church, Chuck Swindoll's church or Chuck Smith's church. No, I go to Calvary Chapel. Jesus is the head of the church, no human. We all just have a role to play, a role to play. That's just for your edification, a little side note. Not in my notes, but just sharing it with you. So the church of Laodicea, watch what it says here in chapter 3, verse 15. I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. Now, cold and hot are both beneficial. This church was neither, neither of those. It had no, no value whatsoever. But you're lukewarm. That, you, that I wish you were either cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And watch what this church thinks of itself. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And in God's view of them, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked. You are not covered with the salvation garments. I counsel you to buy from me, Jesus speaking, gold refined in the fire, salvation, that you may be rich with garments saved, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes. I said on that you may see who I really am. That's what's happening with the end-time church. Now, look at There's all kinds of churches that you can go to. A few will be good Bible-teaching churches. The vast majority have gone more and more over to the lukewarm, tepid, vomit-you-out-of-my-mouth type of church. That is what has happened in the Western church. Now, you will not find this lukewarm church in China. You will not find this in Pakistan. You will not find this where, where all the voice of the martyrs, when there's persecution. Oh, no, you're going to find people that are fervent for the word of God, all out for the word of God. Now, the apostasy, the falling away, lukewarm, lukewarm. That is number one. It's the falling away first. Number two, the man of sin is revealed. This is the Antichrist. The Antichrist will be in power. I want to submit this to you. The Antichrist will be in power prior to the peace covenant being signed in Daniel 9.27. The absolute event that starts the tribulation period, when the wrath of God is poured out on the earth, is Daniel 9.27, when Antichrist, I don't have time to develop that, so just bear with me, signs a peace covenant with Israel. He breaks the agreement halfway through with the abomination of desolation, if you don't know about that. Some other time we'll talk about it. So he will break his peace coming. He will ascend to power. I think it's going to be a slow ascent, and we should be able to see him. Let me finish my statement. So this starts the 70 weeks of Daniel. I have to give a little explanation of this. 70 weeks have been declared for your people, the Jewish people. The Jewish people lived out 69 of those weeks. They rejected Messiah. Time stopped for the Jewish people. God transitioned his attention from Israel 
to the church. So we have become part of, of the grafted into Israel. So this is the time. This is the church age, a time of grace. The church will be taken out. When it is taken out, God will then re-attention himself to the nation of Israel. It is at that point the 70th week of Daniel starts. And it will be a seven-year period of time when God is dealing with the nation of Israel and is going to come back and establish his, his kingdom. So, it will take time for the Antichrist to ascend to power. Believers will be able to identify him and not fall for his smoozing. He's going to be very articulate. He's going to be very convincing. He's going to have all the answers. And we must be aware of who he really is. And if you study prophecy, you will be able to identify him. Let me go on. What does the day of the Lord extend to? We'll just go through this very quickly. I think it's the rapture of the church, the signing of the peace covenant, uh, to the start of eternity, the day of God. The day of the Lord sounds like the day of God, and I think it's, they, they mesh together at the very end, okay? Where the heavens are, will pass away in verse 10 with a great noise, and the day of God is the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire. It just kind of all meshes together. Just keep that thought. Now, the question that I have for you is this. Why the complete destruction of everything down to the atomic level? Why is that necessary? Do you ever wonder about that? There are people who believe that the earth will be redone, reformed as it is now. I don't believe that. I think there's going to be a brand new heavens and a brand new earth for this reason. I think that Satan has contaminated the earth. He, at the end of the millennial reign, is let out for a short period of time in Revelation chapter 20, to deceive the nations. And he deceives the nations. And then God calls down on fire, puts an end to him, and he is thrown into the lake of fire where the false prophet and the Antichrist have been for a thousand years. Now, tell me, is hell a consuming fire? It is an eternal separation and punishment from God. There are some people that try to teach us a consuming fire, the ending thing. I don't think the Bible teaches that. Everything that Satan has contaminated will be done away with. That's the reason that all things will be made new. Revelation 21, 1 through 4 says, Everything will be made new. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. That new is kainos, means qualitatively new. A brand new thing. Not something redone, but a brand new thing. For the first heaven and the first earth pass away. There's no more sea. And, and, and he goes on with that. A new heaven and a new earth will be part of eternity. And hear this. There will be no rebellion in the eternal state. I often get asked this question. Will there be other angels that have an uprising in the eternal state? No, there won't. We all have our time of testing. The elect angels have passed their time of testing. It's the two-thirds that didn't go with Satan. They are forever confirmed as being elect angels. We, who have received Jesus Christ as our Savior, are sealed by the Holy Spirit, are confirmed forever. There will be no rebellion in the eternal kingdom. Now, verse 11 and 13. In view of this, of the day of the Lord's certainty, how are we to live? Well, verse 11, it's very clear. These things are coming. How are we to live? What's our attitude to be? Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, right down the atomic level, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct 
and godliness. Verse 13, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells forever. Now watch this. How are we to live? What's holy conduct and godliness? Living separated unto God while we are here. It's coming. The end is coming. We are to represent the Lord Jesus Christ while we are here. No halfway in and out. All in. That's what this is talking about. I'm all in. Now, how does this look? How does holy kindness and godliness look? Well, I will submit to you this. It's someone who lives life immersed in the Word of God. You are immersed in the Word of God. This is not an option. Secondly, it's a life of sanctification or separation being set apart unto God, and it only can be done if you are in the Word of God, studying the Word of God, and you are with God's people. It cannot happen separate. Okay? The world degrades the Word of God, diminishes the value of the Word of God, but we who are believers extol and lift up the Word of God. And no one, and hear this, no one can live a holy life and not feed on the Word of God. You must be in the Word of God if you're going to live separated unto God. Thirdly, we obey what the Word says. It's one thing to hear it. It's another thing to do it. Two things obedience demonstrates. Obedience to God demonstrates this. Number one, it's an indicator that you are a genuine believer. 1 John 2, 3, by this we know that we know him, that you're genuine, if we keep his commandments. Secondly, it indicates that you truly love God, that you truly love the Lord Jesus. 1 John 5, 3 says this, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Evidence. Finally, number four, godliness and holy conduct. We must live a life filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17 through 21. The teaching there is be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do not be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Palero, cram full. Remember what Jesus in, in John chapter 7 said, out of you will flow fountains of living water. That is how we are to live successfully, filled with the Spirit of God. Holy conduct and godliness. Life in the Word a life set apart to God, obeying God's word, and living a spirit-filled life. And I will submit to you, that is the normal Christian life. That is not the super-duper Christian. That is what Jesus Christ expects from people who follow him. Now, the result of holy conduct and godliness. We're going to revert to verse 12 for just a second, because I bet you wondered what this meant. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Different word, day of God. I think this is eternity. How in the world do we hasten the coming of the day of God? How am I going to hasten it? How are you going to hasten it? Well, it means this. It means this. It means to desire earnestly the coming of the Lord. It's an attitude of come, Lord Jesus, come. I hasten the coming of the Lord by my attitude of, Lord Jesus, we want you to reign. I submit myself to you. I desire earnestly for you to come, passionately looking forward to the coming of, of the Lord. And in verse 13, we see his promise, a new heaven and a new earth where God dwells with his people in righteousness. 
forever being surprised by God, forever for eternity. It's never going to be, are we there yet? I'm bored. Another millennium of this. You won't be having that feeling at all. At all. Look at the day of God, when God changes everything. Think about this. There are no more results of the fall. No more sin. No more tears. No more sorrows. No more fighting or pain or addictions or war or on and on and on. But you know what it is? It is an existence of shalom. Shalom. It's being in a state of wholeness. Without deficiency, you are complete. It is tranquility. Shalom. Much more than the Greek word for peace. Wholeness. Completeness. Jesus breaks into our lives and he can bring health, security, tranquility, completeness, harmony, fulfillment forever. And all I can say is Maranatha. Maranatha. Even so come, Lord Jesus. In conclusion, day of the Lord. It's a period of time when Christ establishes his kingdom from the rapture of the church through the tribulation and millennial reign of Christ to the eternal reign of God, the day of God. It's a time of the wrath of God being poured out and Jesus taking over the kingdoms of this world. Remember in Revelation eleven fifteen, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ, and he shall reign forever. He's taking over. He's taking back. He's going to reign forever. It's a time when the wolf lies down with the lamb. They beat their swords into plowshares and pruning hooks. It's a time of prosperity. It's a time that will be awful and horrific for the majority of earth in rebellion against God. But it's a time that will be wonderful for the followers of Messiah when we go into the millennial reign of Christ. It all depends on which side you're on. It all depends on what you have done with Jesus Christ. Have you believed in him and received him as your Savior? Or have you rejected him and regret it forever? That's the question. Allow me to finish with these familiar words. And this is a Christmas verse. It's Isaiah chapter 9, but it's much more than that. Hear these words. Familiar. Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born. You know, that's God's indescribable gift to humanity. 2 Corinthians 9, 15. Unto us a son is given. Oh, and the government will be upon his shoulder. He will be a ruler. He'll have dominion. It'll be a time when Jesus comes to destroy the works of the devil and establish his everlasting kingdom. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. There will be no overthrowing of Jesus' kingdom. There will be no more uh, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, ten-nation confederation. All of those have been world leaders in the past. No more of that. No more humans reigning. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward when he comes to establish his kingdom even forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth, the God of armies, will perform this. Who is this child? Who is this son? Who is this babe 
that was in the manger. Who is this one who will rule forever and ever and ever? And I will submit to you, he is the king of glory. He is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Strong and mighty. God's indescribable gift. He is Emmanuel. God with us. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. All I can say is Maranatha. Even so come, Lord Jesus. The day of the Lord is just around the corner, folks. Which side are you on? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to study your word. And I pray that this word will have fallen on fertile soil, that we just not be hearers and just kind of blow it off, but realize the time that we're living in. Things have gotten more and more dark just before the day when Jesus comes back to establish his kingdom. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the second coming of Christ. People will be going about their business, ignoring God, and getting darker and darker and darker, and then boom, judgment came. Lord, help us to be people of the book. Help us to be people who are ready. Help us to be those who have said yes to Jesus Christ. Lord, you gave us the simplest thing in the world. If we want to be part of your family, you just simply said, believe and receive the gift. I believe that you died in my place. I believe that you took my sin debt. I commit myself to you, and I receive the gift of salvation that you offer so freely. And you are pleading with people, come into your family. Come into your family. Be part of the family of God. God is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, simply believe and receive the gift. And if you have done that, right in the quietness of your chair, and if this is something new for you, please come up to me afterwards and talk to me, and I will help you on your journey of growing in God. Thank you, Father, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.